with your host, Bill Lundgren, an AINC original podcast. We're not holding back truth. We're here to help you heal and become the best you possible. Here's the chair. Here's the pillow. Here's Bill. Hello there. Welcome to Blindsight, uh, the uh, podcast of mental health and uh, mental wellness sponsored by the Uh, Audio Information Network of Colorado. I'm your host, Bill Lundgren, and I'm delighted to welcome back a a presenter that we had some time ago, uh, uh, Lynn Huber, who gave us a fascinating uh, discussion on forgiving others, but I felt it was important to ask her to come back and tell us about forgiving ourselves. Welcome, Lynn, and thank you for coming back. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed being with you before so much, and I'm looking forward to this time. Um, I'll just start and then um, give some you got it. things, and when you have questions, you can ask them. I do believe that forgiving oneself is in many ways no different than forgiving others. There are all sorts of reasons why people do what we do, but sometimes much as we wish it weren't so, people hurt other people and hurt themselves. And the only way out of digging ourselves into a deeper and deeper hole is to do that hard work of both self and other forgiveness. I define forgiveness as writing off a debt. There's one version of the Lord's Prayer that says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. They owed us something and they didn't deliver, or we did. And forgiveness allows both the wounder and the wounded to be freed from limits that otherwise affect them forever. It's letting go of no longer useful expectations. So if the offender is not capable of changing their behavior, the wounded one may choose not to reconcile, but it is still and always free to forgive in order to free themselves from remaining full of resentment. Um, You may remember the definition I give of forgiveness is letting go of resentment, and I use a metaphor that holding on to it is like spiritual and psychological impaction. It hurts the one who retains it, not the one who caused it. So letting go of resentment of one's own behavior is also freeing and offers the possibility of making a commitment to changing it. I'm I'm an oblate, which is an associate member of Bennett Hill Monastery, a Benedictine community in Colorado Springs. I've had the privilege of attending life vows of a couple of the sisters. At the time they are taking those vows, they prostrate themselves, and afterwards they're clothed in new clothing that represents a new self. It's a pretty perfect representation of the forgiveness process. You repent the old way of life, you dress in new clothing to indicate new life received, and until recently, monastics received a new name, also in recognition of being a new self and having left the old self behind. 
in a way, I think forgiveness of oneself is that kind of a new start. And I sometimes suggest to people with whom I work in spiritual direction that when they make a commitment to a new way of being with some issue in their lives, they take on a behavior or carry some kind of symbol with them or have uh, words that they repeat on a regular basis to remind them of the new life that they're taking on. It requires belief in the possibility of real change and a commitment to living it out. Um, when I talked with you before, I may have mentioned a man who had carried huge resentment toward his father his whole life, and he blamed his father for all the bad decisions that he himself had made, keeping him from really growing up. Without going through the whole story again, I'll just say that after a profound session in which he was led to recognize the need to forgive his dad for his own sake, he also forgave himself. And it was in a workshop I was in. The next day when he came in, he moved differently. He spoke differently. His voice came from a different place in his body. And it's as if he had somehow managed to really grow up and become a man and occupy his body and voice as a man. He'd not only clearly forgiven his dad, but himself and was out of the box that he trapped himself in for decades. Uh, it's the most dramatic um, example I have ever seen. So since we can never really undo what has been done, we can choose to let go of the attachment to it and take on new thoughts and feelings and behaviors that allow us to grow into all that we have come to recognize we can be. And I absolutely believe it's never too late. Um, I'm 81 years old and I've done amazing healing in the last three years and feel as though I am more whole, self-accepting and grateful than ever in my entire life. There was more than self-forgiveness going on, which goes beyond what we can talk about today, but it was that was surely a part of it. And what was let go of was replaced with genuine self-love. Since there's only one person we can be absolutely sure that we'll be with 24-7 for our entire lives, it's pretty wonderful to be at peace with her or him, whichever we are, or both. <laughs> Lynn, doesn't that also include our understanding of what we did? In other words, you know, we can we can forgive ourselves but not really learn from the experience, or we can learn from the experience as part of the forgiveness. Am I uh, understanding that right? Well, it seems to me that the way that one forgives is to really get into the process of whatever happened and understand both what created that situation, what caused our behavior, and where the freedom is that we didn't see at the time to exercise a different way. So with your example of the man and his father, he had to understand his part of it. He Absolutely. had to understand what he... what. His payoff was to be angry at his father. And to feel justified. Yeah, okay, gotcha. What we often don't recognize is that holding that grudge keeps that, I, I really do like the metaphor of, of impaction. It's holding on to the shit, <laughs> refusing to let go of it, mm -hmm. and being miserable because mm -hmm. of it. So, 
My husband, Frank, uh, used to say that a refusal to forgive ourselves is a sort of reverse pride. <laughs> My sin is so great that not uh. even God could forgive it. <laughs> Um, I used to put this in different words. I know God has forgiven me, but my opinion is more important than God's, and I won't. <laughs> um, so you do the same thing for yourself as for anyone else you have to forgive. First, you make a decision to do so. And then you tell God and or another person you trust, and then become willing to have the healing come and wait patiently, renewing the promise to forgive if necessary, to remind yourself you've done it until the healing is done. And you know that because the crappy feelings go away. I really do like scatological language. Um, <laughs> you hold yourself in a, a healing light. If necessary, you visualize yourself as a child rather than as the adult you are now. And if you can't mm -hmm. do it alone, get professional help. So that's the basic process. Now, given this, what are your questions? Well, I have uh, some perhaps reservations that uh, about the learning part, and also when is it that we really uh, know that we have truly forgiven ourselves? I mean, what you described the uh, the the guy who forgave his father and himself and was uh, walking at the different. Uh, person, is that the sign to us that I have truly forgiven myself instead of obsessing about, oh, I should have done this or, or that or whatever? Well, spending time going back over the undone or the done, the, the unwanted undone or the unwanted done is really only helpful in so much as it can help you learn what it is mm -hmm. that triggered the whole thing. And I think sometimes we can't figure it out by ourselves, and we do need somebody else. It might be if you're in a 12-step right. program, a sponsor can help. If you're in therapy, that right. person can help. If you're regularly in spiritual direction, that person can help. But to come to a recognition at some point that there's freedom to let it go, that we previously denied ourselves. Mm. So with the 12-step program, what I find with a, with a lot of clients that I work with, they're willing to do a fourth step, you know, do a fierce moral inventory. But what they focus is, focused on is what they did wrong, uh -huh. and which, is, which is important. But at the same time, I explain to people, I may be, you know, maybe off from this, but taking an inventory of a, in a store is looking at what you have as well as what you don't have. Uh -huh. So the person who's taking a true inventory has to talk about both his strengths or her strengths and, or, and weakness rather than focus on all the, the bad things that they did. And to, to have it started, because as you, as we talked about last time, our forgiveness of somebody else is not dependent on the other person's acceptance. Absolutely. Our forgiveness of ourselves can't, can't be dependent on anyone else. We have to be the one to say, I forgive myself for what happened and I understand and here's how I've changed. And it's a change or the understanding that uh, is, I think we're in agreement is liberating. Absolutely. We say, okay. 
I'm not going to carry around like a ball and chain. Well, I don't know if I shared with you my experience with a mirror a few years ago. No. Mm -mm. Well, it was during COVID, and I'm a very strong extrovert, and I had been in my room for, I lived in a senior facility. I was in my room from the 6th of March until the end of July when we moved out of there. And um, I'm going to use the religious story because it it happened that way for me. My background's originally Mm -hmm. Jewish. My family was totally non-observant, and I was aware of something I called literally something with a capital S from the time I was about five years old. I, I had a, and there was a place I used to go outdoors where I felt connected to that something. Um, I ended up uh, in the Episcopal church in college. And um, one of the things that I wanted was to see Jesus's eyes Um, I realized that there were some encounters that he had with people that they absolutely turned around on a dime. And I figured it was eye contact that did it. And I wanted Hmm. to see those eyes. (laughs) And I prayed for that for literally decades, uh, 60 years, I think. And during COVID, it was that late. Oh, and the other thing, there's a thing in the Episcopal um, Book of Common Prayer, that's my favorite thing. It's a part of the baptismal vows, a commitment to, quote, seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself. And mm-hmm. I found after that really became an important line for me that from time to time I'd make eye contact with a stranger. It might be in a grocery store. It might be at a party. It might be somewhere else. And I'd see him. And occasionally if... Their body language gave me a clue it might not be offensive. I might tell them. And sometimes those relationships became really friends. And it was wonderful. Um, So I had continued from the age of 20 when I was baptized to the age of uh, almost 80, 78, I guess, to want to see those eyes. And um, Mm -hmm. one day I got up and there was a mirror hanging next to the bed and I looked in the mirror and I saw him in my eyes. I almost passed out. (laughs) And since that moment, every single time I've looked in the mirror, uh, unless I was just walking by and didn't notice, um, I made contact with something profoundly important to me. I I don't mm-hmm. you have to call it Jesus. You might call it Buddha or you might call it <laughs> Desmond Tutu or whatever you want, but it's right. it's a totally that spiritual being. It's a totally and... love-filled thing. And mm-hmm. um that has been one of the most amazing and wonderful blessings of my entire life. And it really feels as though Virtually all of the crap that I used to carry around, self-judgment kinds of stuff, much of my life, um, partly because my mother laid a lot on me, um, is gone. And virtually every time I look in the mirror, if I'm conscious at all, not just walking by, there's this encounter with mystery. 
And that seems to me to have been one of the most, if not the most wonderful thing that happened in my life. And I think that forgiving oneself allows us to see the person in the mirror in that loving, mutual way. And the nice thing about it when it's yourself is you know that as long as you're alive, that person will be in the mirror. Sure. And now that I've lost my husband and in the last year, my four best friends, um, it's even more important that I love the one in the mirror. Yeah. And I think the loving one in the mirror is most important under any circumstances when we can't even look at ourselves in the mirror. That's when we know something, uh, something severe is going on. Right. And I like your, I like your description of seeing this uh, spiritual being, if you will, looking back at you with, you know, with support as opposed to what we sometimes walk around with, you know, the, uh, <clears throat> you know, the feelings that other people are looking at us with very angry eyes. That says something about how we're feeling, I think, uh -huh. about how we're feeling about ourselves. Absolutely. And it's it's interesting. There's a person that lives where I am who is a nominal Christian and full of anger, full of judgment, uh, talking all the time about how this one or that one isn't living up to their own standards or whatever. Right. And I found myself utterly and totally compassionate toward him. Um, he's so miserable, and he carries so much anger and hurt. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't need to. I don't need to allow that to to wound me. I can just allow myself right love past it. Well, one of the one of the uh, cliches I hear. Sometimes it's when you're pointing fingers <laughs> at someone else, right. <laughs> four fingers that are pointing at you. Right. And so often that's a diagnostic tool, you know, a, a loose, I won't call it, you know, uh, under the DSM-5, but it's a diagnostic tool to me when they are complaining about everybody else that is there, uh, there's a lot of turmoil within them that they're right. just projecting out. Right, absolutely. And that's and that's the the symbol, in a sense, of what what's going on internally with the person. And one of the things that uh, people need to look at in terms of uh, uh, in themselves when they see them being themselves being more judgmental of everybody else or a family member, or whatever, uh, that's a start, you, you know, you can even bring it up, just saying, okay, wait a minute, you know, who am I uh, being angry at? And, you know, what is my, is a defensive stance uh -huh. to be angry at everybody else so I don't have to look at myself. Absolutely. And it's a very lonely place to be. Absolutely. And we've been talking about loneliness and the and the uh, the cost of loneliness, and that is certainly for that individual. Uh, it can really be helpful to us if we can remember that, as you were you know reflecting on somebody in your neighborhood, that uh, that poor soul 
Yes. And not so much, we're not talking about forgiving that person, but just being empathetic because we can't be empathetic just one way. We, we need to be empathetic towards ourselves as well as other people. And boy, Absolutely. is that hard. Absolutely. I like being self-righteous. <laughs> I think, I think the, better, the better we've come to know ourselves, and I, I haven't spent a lot of time using the word empathetic toward myself because I most often see it as a kind of translation of what somebody else is feeling into the terms that I would use if I were feeling it. But but compassion for one, I guess that's the word I would use, compassion for oneself um, is mm-hmm. tremendously important. And it, it gives you spaciousness to forgive and let go. If you don't have compassion, then you end up spending all your time judging yourself. And I would have, you know, I, I was thinking about the idea that it's harder for us to uh, forgive ourselves. We are frequently our own worst enemy. But uh, when we deflect what we feel about ourselves onto other people, that's, that's where it's even is so injurious. But it's a question of, okay, when do we stop? When do we say, no, wait a minute, what am I doing to myself? Or is it something that someone, uh, well, professional certainly, but someone around us had to say, you know what? Uh, You are really hurting yourself. You are punishing yourself. I mean, how sometimes we're so uninvolved in ourselves, that is, we don't look at ourselves, and sometimes we need somebody outside of us to point out, you know, uh, you're hurting yourself. Why do you do that? I think you're Do you think that makes sense? And it's interesting because it can be a spiritual director, it can be a psychotherapist, and certainly in the 12 steps, it could be your sponsor. But um, mm-hmm. the, uh, one of the things that you had mentioned uh, as something to think about was where the 12 steps fit into this. And I think uh, this place of step six, seven, and eight is mm-hmm. somehow a recognition of the cost of not forgiving oneself and allowing oneself to let it go. Well, it's real hard if we look at the person who's caught up in addiction. Uh, I think that's one of the things that uh, society in general is so down on them. It just reinforces the sense of pain that people have. So how do we expect them to recover if they're having all the messages or a lot of the messages around them that they're bad people instead of people who have mental health issues that need to be dealt with or people who can change. And I think that's true, whatever the addiction is. Have you read, oh God, Jerry May's book, Addiction and Grace? No, I haven't. But tell me about it. Um, he's, He's somebody that I had expected to go and meet in person. He, he did a lot of teaching and, he ended up dying before I got to go, and I felt cheated ever since. Mm. But the book Addiction and Grace, he's a psychiatrist, and um, I think he medicalizes uh, a number of things that I don't. 
but he defined Mm -hmm. addiction anything that if you stop doing, you feel uncomfortable about. So it doesn't have to be an addictive substance. It can be a behavior. It can be a series of thoughts. It could workaholism. Absolutely. And it can be, he thinks we have hundreds of them all the time, but some of Mm -hmm. them end up being so costly that if we don't do the work of letting them go, we we really can destroy our lives and relationships. And certainly something Mm -hmm. like a very addictive drug or alcohol is is in that category. But there are a lot right. of things mm-hmm. that might not be quite that extreme in terms of destruction. Well, and, and nicotine. Uh, I never had an alcohol addiction or a drug addiction other than nicotine, but it took me, oh, I guess 10 years of effort <laughs> and finally recognizing that uh, quitting part-time wasn't going to work out of town when I was going to be out of town for seven days a week for a while. And I did give it up, but it was just, it's, it's so humbling and humiliating to see how trapped we are by some of these substances that we feel we can't survive without. (laughs) Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, and, and that's again, uh, also, I think part of 12-step program is forgiving ourselves to we got caught up in it because we didn't, we didn't know. Or we didn't or know there was had, another um, option. Yeah, you didn't know that you didn't have to be caught up and there was a way out. And that's what, you know, when you have a 12-step meeting uh, and be able to hear other people have gone through the same thing and even laugh about it, <laughs> it's so freeing. It's very, and I think sometimes, sometimes that that's part of our forgiveness is to be able to even to make fun of ourselves for having been caught up in that trap of not forgiving ourselves, mm-hmm. of punishing ourselves, of doing things in subtle ways, uh, and it, it can be so freeing. Yeah. And but, one of the things that blew me out of the water, I can't remember what the book was, but it was somebody who was an alcohol addict who wrote about the 12 steps and talked about some of the stinking thinking, one of which was, oh, my God, I've been clean and sober for five years. That requires a drink and goes ahead and has one. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to part one of our episode with Lynn Huber. And we're very excited to bring her back next week as we're going to be diving more into the area of self-forgiveness and learning how to do that better. So it's going to be a little bit more nuanced next week. So I hope you really enjoy that. If you do have any comments or questions for us, please give us a uh, contact us. Uh, you can visit aincolorado.org slash podcast dash guest if you would like to have your question read on the air. And we will be doing that starting, I think, next week or the week after. So make sure you stay tuned and get those questions in because we're going to do a lot of stuff with your questions. So I also wanted to make sure you are aware of our hike that's happening on August 12th. Make sure you're there. We're going to leave from the AINC headquarters. We're going to head out to Chautauqua Park and do a nice hike. Some of us are going to go up to the arches and some of us are going to do a little bit of an easier hike around um, just kind of the lower portion of it. So if you want information about that, head over to AINcolorado.org and we will see you on our hike.